Yes. Hello. We're here. Have to be more professional. No, we don't. No? We're, We're, I guess, almost by, you know, not our own choice. We are necessarily less professional than ever right this second. Yeah. You can't be less professional than on fucking strike. Or more professional. I don't know how this works. (laughs) Tuck out your shirt. We're on strike. I am currently wearing, and I've worn this, uh, the picket line a couple times, the most fucked up t-shirt I own. (laughs) It's the most fucked up shirt. Intro the shirt, then I'll intro our guest. Okay. Uh, It's a shirt from an And then I'll intro the show. In Philly. (laughs) Um... It has a picture of like a fucked up parody Mickey Mouse waving an American flag. It's a little sacrilegious, so I'm sorry if anyone cares. It says, stand for the, was it? Flag? Stand for the flag. Yeah, stand for the flag, kneel for the cross in an insane way. Um, it's clearly a parody shirt. It, it looks bonkers. I will say this. I have accidentally worn this, um, just because I'm trying not to be antagonistic in this specific way, to a like a mutual aid thing that was held at a church. Uh, so, mm. you know, I'm not religious, but, you know, whatever, whatever it takes to get stuff to people. So I showed up there, and thankfully, I don't know what it is about, like, church people. Maybe they're just super, super nice. They basically only read the words and didn't look at the image. And multiple people, unless they're amazing actors, in all earnestness, were like, love the shirt. And I was like... I'm so sorry, and then just scuttled off to the kitchen to like never to avoid them. <laughs> I love I it. Like, I love not trying to be antagonistic in that specific way. All other ways still on the table. I'm, you know, I'm I'm a bad person. <laughs> um, no, you're not. You're a great person. I'll, I'm going to do this in a in an order that makes sense. This is yes. the show. Yo, is this racist? Uh, where we listen to your voicemails about racism eventually, but first we talk about. Current events, which on this podcast lately, you guessed it, more Strike Talk. I'm your host, Tony Newsom. That's the other host, Andrew T. We got our producer, Kevin Bartelt. Okay, so that's the show. Anything you want yes. to add, Andrew? Show business check. Show space business, not show dash business. Check. I don't think no, there's don't a dash. Any... Yeah, show dash business. In show business? <laughs> yes. I'm just trying to demarcate <laughs> the pot or pod business. There's no business pod, like pod business. business. Right. Like, no business, I know. Uh, That's the t-shirt I want. <laughs> there's no business like pod business, like, no business, I know. There's no... With Mickey, with Mickey Mouse getting, like, open heart surgery. <laughs> there's no chance that doesn't already exist on Etsy except for the Mickey Mouse part. Well, it will the you, second one person <laughs> leaves a comment about it under one of our posts, and then somebody's like, buy the shirt here! Um, Great. All right. Can't wait. Our guest has been patiently waiting. Our guest has been waiting through us learning which side of the microphones to talk oh, into. <laughs> Le- waiting through us filibustering about fucked up Mickey Mouse merch, um, which is weirdly kind of tangential to what we're going to talk about with our guest. Uh, he is a writer for the last few seasons of Star Trek's Discovery. Um, that's how we know each other. He's also a WGA strike captain. Uh, one of the lot coordinators at Disney, which, if you follow us on socials, you know is this podcast's favorite place oh, to pick best. it. The best. The best place, the most shade, the nicest loop. Yeah. The, the best snacks, the nicest well, people. Have you, have you been there <laughs> since we got the the sort of barrier on Keystone? I have. It's Carlos Cisco, everybody. Say what up. Hello. Hello. Oh, sorry, what up. That was, that's what I was saying. Yeah. <laughs> that was good. I did. I, I just experienced the... I experienced the Keystone Barrier last week, and it was delightful. It felt so safe walking down that street. 
Yeah, I regularly uh, will, when I take a loop, I'll just go out there uh, and move those those pylons out by about a foot. Hell yeah. And oh. so by the time the day is over, we have like three or four people wide walkway. It's nice. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice that um, some of the lots, even though we are picketing them and we are, you know, uh, <laughs> protesting their business practices, at least some of them are providing safety things. That was Mayor Constantine of Burbank that did that for us. He's also working on getting parking restrictions lifted from the other side since, you know, none of those houses are real except for one, which if you can guess which one it is and bring me a picture at the the check-in, I'll I'll give you a bottle of water, which you should have in your hands anyways. <laughs> uh yeah, so the <laughs> the street that Carlos is talking about, yeah. there's a street along the side of the uh the Disney lot in Burbank that is a series of fake houses that are used for filming and occasionally they put like out-of-town executives there to stay there sometimes, but basically it's a fake yeah. street. Yeah, I think that's... And so they started restricting parking on it because they didn't want picketers parking there, uh, which is bonkers. No one lives there. Yeah. Actually, I, I will say this. my One of my episodes of Mixed Dish shot there and learning that all of these are just fake shells of houses along the side of the, of the street. It's so surreal. We should also say, I just realized um, probably that uh, one of the reasons Carlos is here is we were talking about just having more people who know more about what's happening with the strike um, and also like any different perspectives um, just because we're so in the strike from, I would say, the lowest possible level. <laughs> like we, we don't have, we have the zero foot view of what it's like. We have our opinions and we've read things, but... And but also we only have our own perspectives. So I think that was like one of the reasons we wanted to have Carlos here, um, mainly because I will just say, having in my limited experience, Carlos has been radiating competence and confidence <laughs> since day one uh, yes. of this fucking oh, thing. <laughs> oh, good. That's all smoke and mirrors, my friends. Uh, go, going from being a, a, a very sedentary indoor kid to community organizer in like the, the flip of a switch was a, a deeply difficult transition. Uh, I feel like I've kind of oh settled in, settled into sort of the routine of it and then and then now SAG is out with us and it's like kind of sort of relearning everything all over again because it's just it's just bigger and more and people sort of need to be trained as to like what the, the yeah. sort of etiquette and uh, tone of the pickets are. Yeah, that was one thing I was going to ask you. Um, you know, I, you were one of the first people I saw the, uh, the, the second day of the writer strike or something because, you know, we just I don't know why we all just picked Disney and started going there. But um, I wanted to ask what you think the biggest shift has been since having SAG join. Because the WGA was picketing a good six weeks before SAG went on strike. I know we're not supposed to like talk about difficulties and all that shit in public. But I, I think morale was really flagging for a while when we hit that like day 60-ish, 65. Mm-hmm. You know, people were really like... The, the numbers were getting very thin. It was starting to really heat up. Um, and I feel like SAG, you know, both their, uh, their, their, like their vote, uh, their authorization mm-hmm. vote leading up to it. And then um, the, the tension of that, what, like 12 days of their extension. And then the ultimate uh, announcement uh, really galvanized us. We've been seeing an increase in WGA membership coming out alongside uh, just, 
just like a crush of, of yeah. SAG. Like, which is so many. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, like truly they outnumber us 10 to 1. It's yeah. it's it's nuts. Yeah. I mean, but it's amazing to they see. They outnumber the jobs for them 10 to 1, too. Well, yeah, it's, <laughs> Actually, I think it's 50 to 1. <laughs> yeah. And the WGA shirts, if there's any misstep that the uh, the the leadership has made in this strike, it's the uh, the cut and material that our shirts are made of. They're awful. But man, at least we didn't get black t-shirts because yeah. it is what a week to come out in all black. Yeah. Do you think it's because black is the most slimming color? That's why the actors are wearing it. Now that you say that, absolutely yes. They They're like, great. I will burn up in the sun. They, oh no, they do. Care. They they look so much better than ours too, but it, it's like I, I I just everyone's sweating out there and I don't know how anybody's doing it in yeah. I, like I haven't been able to wear all black since probably like early May out there. <laughs> sure. I had a moment when SAG joined the strike when one of my relatives who is not only not in the business, I would say uh, instinctively leans anti-union, we'll just euphemistically say. Um, real piece of shit, cousin. And he, we had a moment where he was like, okay, you know, but he, he's not all... You know, whatever. He's one of those people, he's like on my side, but just not on the side of right things. So he was like, okay, great, SAG joined. What does that get you? And I did have a moment where I was just like, the best I could do to articulate it was sort of just like, well, the alternative of SAG not joining the strike was very dire or was going to be very hard. And this is just of the two options by far the best. And then the um, enthusiasm and just like the the number of people has been like, okay, we're, we're doing this again. Fresh, you know, whatever, 100K fresh people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really nice because like a lot of us, especially those of us who've been out working it are are and have been quite burnt out because it's it's hard. It's yeah. a, it's a lot of work. I, I feel like, you know, my one of my uh, co-coordinators, uh, Eric Robbins, who's another um, discovery writer, we we're joking that like we have not worked this hard since we were PAs. Um, yeah, because it is. It's a lot of just hauling water bottles and yeah. you know, yeah. uh, sort of logistics and scheduling and and I hope it's a uh, all these skills will apply elsewhere. S- somewhat in you know managing and organizing people in a room. Hopefully, I hope that's what I'm getting at. because yeah. <laughs> it's a uh, it's yeah. a lot. How did you decide to to take on this like unbelievable amount of responsibility? Oh, I got like completely huck finned into it. Okay, and then <laughs> after after. And that was just the captainship. So, um, uh, uh, shout out to Sean Cochran for accidentally tricking me into this. Uh, he's another one of our discovery writers. But he, um, when he went on paternity leave in season four, uh, instead of hiring from without, uh, Michelle Paradise, our showrunner, um, promoted me. I was a writer's assistant at the time, and so I uh, went through about half that season as a, a staff writer, um, and then came back as story editor in season five. And then you know, cancellation, boo. But uh, Sean, he was having his second kid in season five and was like, hey, man, I'm like tired. Can you do this? (laughs) It's not hard. All you have to do is like send an email every now and then. I was like, oh, sure, man. And, you know, because like it was just for the just for the discovery folks. That's how the the sort of the the captain structure for people who don't understand, like the way that the captains work in um, the WGA is that at first it started out of uh, like shop steward basically is the equivalent title for shows. So mm-hmm. I'm the representative on Star Trek Discovery for Star Trek Discovery to like go to the guild. If they have questions, I, you know, I'm the liaison. But once the um, strike authorization vote and all of that stuff opened up, 
we were contacted by the guild coordinator. I'm like, wait, what's happening? Yeah. What? I, this like what? once a week email or not real. even once a week became real as fuck. Yeah. It, that sometimes they're calling me. What is happening? <laughs> and like, I like started talking to Sean and we like looked at like what year it was and we're both like, fuck, it's a strike year. Yeah. <laughs> so then my coordinator, who is a wonderful person, Layla, she asked me, she's like, hey, do you want to be a, a lot coordinator or an assistant lot coordinator or a gate captain? And I was like, I guess I'll, tr- I mean, you know, I don't know, but I guess I'll be a assistant lot coordinator. Yeah. An assistant sounds good. I'll, I'll fill in sometimes. Right. <laughs> sometimes. And then uh, day one, uh, I was positioned with, uh, because all the teams were together, but I was positioned with uh, Matthew Lieberman, who's the morning coordinator there. And by the end of the day, uh, Layla uh, was like, grabbed me by the shoulders. This is what it is in my memory. I know she didn't actually do this, but like shook me violently. <laughs> it was like, I need you to be here in the afternoons. Um, and so uh, I sort of, uh, uh, a gay kid, teacher's petted, try-harded myself into a promotion mm-hmm. I didn't want. And <laughs> here I am. Uh, but that's not to say that I have not enjoyed it, but it's, yeah. I had a long conversation with my boyfriend last night about this, of just like the feeling of, Uh, the sort of adrenaline that pumps through while you're there because I'm having to like be on and be a cheerleader and, Mm -hmm. you know, really just like be a a leader for people. And then I get home and I'm like, I I feel like completely hollowed out. Like, I don't, it's like, he'll call me in the evening and I'm like, I love you. I don't want to talk to you right now. I don't want to talk to anybody. It's also so interesting seeing this from, Writers, like, right? Writers are not actors. It makes more sense <laughs> to me to see actors taking on this role because we're kind of used to, uh, you know, having groups of people listen to you talk at a certain time. And I don't know. It's just like we're a little, we can be more used to harnessing those, like, more extrovert qualities. And so it's really interesting to see the writers that have had to kind of, like, examine their whole relationship to not socializing, but there is like a social element to it because we're all a community. So I'm sure a day doesn't go by when you're at the lot that you don't see someone you know. Like there's a- Well, at, at this point, yeah. I mean, I like, I I see Ira Steven Bear almost every day now. And, you know, it's wild, like occasionally getting to do a lap with him. He usually <laughs> leaves Ira Steven earlier. Bear created Deep Space Nine, which is my most beloved show of all time. The, uh, one one of the best Trekkie. ever. Um, yeah. But he, he, I remember, uh, you know, I, I was getting out of my car one morning and just like he was, you know, him and his, his purple beard uh, right there. And we we're just talking and he's like, yeah, I leave when I get to about 20,000 steps. And I'm like, what the, f- that's Whoa. like, that's like seven or eight miles. Yeah. That's, that's pretty eight, amazing. Eight laps honestly. around. Yeah. Jesus. That's cool. <laughs> I mean, he's not doing that in the heat, thankfully, but uh yeah. Yeah. Well, I I do res- really respect, uh, especially the leadership from the guild and the organization that you guys have demonstrated in keeping people safe in the heat wave, limiting the hours, you know, changing changing things up to respond to both maybe people's energy levels, but also just yeah, just addressing safety concerns. It's such a huge extra part of it. It's not just oh, we grabbed some signs and wandered around, you know, yeah. in front of the lots and took pictures. There really it's is a huge beings. amount of infrastructure that you guys have had to build and maintain all just for the sake of let's get back to work. Let's, you know, force these studios to come back to the table. It's so, it's so, uh, the d- insane amount of unpaid labor. It is it, like, this is the last fucking thing any of us want to be doing. Like I, yeah. I it, being out in the heat, please. Like I'm <laughs> right. it's, it's like, so, 
keep me at 72 degrees all the time. <laughs> like, it, yeah, it's I have I have I, I feel like the farmer's tan that I've developed is racist. It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I it's it's so nice to hear the story though of like I mean the way you found your path into this part of this thing that again hopefully you will never have to have this type of responsibility or this type but not this exact mm-hmm. responsibility ever again because it is just like yeah that's how it happens like p- shit gets thrust upon people and you step up because you kind of have have to and then you you make it work this shit sucks but I would do it all over again. Like yes. this is, I feel like since I started this, there has been a change on a fundamental level uh, in just how I sort of see myself, how I see uh, the world, how I view labor. Um, and it's been a really enriching experience for me. It's been very meaningful, even though it has been like one of the most exhausting and taxing experiences of my life. But I mean, I. I guess no, uh, nothing good comes without struggle. Uh, yeah. Well, maybe some good things do. Maybe yeah. a lot of good things do, but maybe this <laughs> I was gonna say, this kind of shit some, does not. Some shit is handed to you yeah. for sure. Some shit, some yeah. shit gets handed to you. Yeah. But, well, maybe not to us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe less to us for sure. <laughs> I mean, that has been one of the things that is true. It is like all of the things that like the the world, the way the AMPTP wants it to be, will only hurt marginalized people. Not only, sorry, will hurt us the most. And then, you know, so so I do think there is that, like, element of, like, we're also doing this because we have no choice. You have to do this. And, and sort of, once again, the people that are most likely to bear the brunt of the world that could be, we are at the forefront fighting for everyone. And not even, sorry, not we. I mean, but yeah, especially, like, Carlos, it's just, like, um, that, yeah, but I mean, that every, everybody, amazing. everybody who's out there on the line is yes. fighting for this. Like if you're coming out yes. one day a week, if you're coming out five days a week, you're, you're doing the right thing. You know, if you can't come out and you're sending water, if you're a celebrity and you're putting a seven figure sum into, uh, you know, strike funds yeah. and stuff like that, that is, you are, you are helping and you are showing solidarity and that's, that's what's important. However people are doing it. Yeah. You know, I know that there's, there's been some, you know, hullabaloo about certain stars coming out and certain stars not. But as far as I'm concerned, like, it, you only have to show up on the line if your presence, you know, is not being seen there in some other way. Like, if you are a wealthy person concerned about your uh, your security, that you know, it's pretty yeah. easy for them to send food trucks. They could send them to everyone yeah. and stuff like yeah. that, you know, so... That actually is a good question that I've been wanting to ask the Guild. Um, there have been a few, like, celebrities, like, A-listers and, you know, I guess lower than that, but still, like, people who are perceived as being very wealthy, very, like, recognizable in summer blockbuster movies who seem to have a mixed message of should we come out to the picket lines? Because while the the majority of these things do affect us, things like AI and protecting our likeness and just protecting the future of our industry, some of the financial things that we're fighting for obviously don't affect them as much. And does it hurt the cause for everyday public to see the uber wealthy on a picket line? In in your opinion, or if you have any like official stuff from the guild? Well, listen, I'm I'm not gonna Google his net worth because I know that it will be an incorrect number because that's always an incorrect number. But <laughs> for example, Colin Farrell, he's pretty he's A-list, right? He's A-list. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
he was out the other day uh, on the line, looking good. Um, you know, <laughs> already turned that thing into a tank top. Um, uh, you just have there with uh, oh, yeah. uh, Shay. The Wiggum. actors are the quickest to turn oh, the shirt into they, something they, else. <laughs> I have never seen more people just straight up take off their shirts in public to just put on a new shirt. Yeah. While the writers are like, I'm going to slide this already on my sweaty body. Can I get it over my backpack? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, he was out there and like he stopped and he like it's on it's on Instagram uh, uh, on the SAG Instagram. But he he gave like a five minute talk just about, you know, why this is important, why he's there and what he's supporting, especially as someone who is a multimillionaire. And he, he even points out the the possible hypocrisy in it, but saying, you know, all of these people, I think. Unless unless they are, I think, the child of uh, uh, a star. But again, that only goes so far in terms of getting you a start. It certainly opens many doors for you, but it doesn't necessarily sustain your career. It's everyone knows, you know, everyone who is an actor or a writer, unless unless they were shot out of a cannon. But chances are, even if you were shot out of a cannon early on in your career in life, you've met with a fallow period. You've met when you've met with a time when you couldn't get a meeting. So I think, like, even the people who are stars, I hope they have not forgotten that. Uh, mm -hmm. Because that is the thing that really binds us all together, is that struggle and that pursuit of this dream. Uh, uh, I don't remember where that that uh where it came from it, it might have been just a it might have been an article. It might have been just a long Twitter thread that someone said, but you know, the reason that we're going to win this is that the CEOs are, they don't have a dream. They're just looking at a spreadsheet. But yeah. we, we actually are are fighting for something that, you know, we have already struggled and, you know, faced poverty for. Yeah. So. I, I think, Tony, to just weigh in on, on your question a little, too, it's, it's almost like the same thing as what I was ultimately feeling about the SAG going on strike, which is that, like, there's, it's probably like, you know, there's, there's ups, there's pros and cons to, like, you know, People who we are we are understand are millionaires to be on the picket right. line, but you know, and whether it's like a physical presence on the picket line or not, there there is like the simply alternative. We've watched you know, say your Ryan Murphys or whatever, like deliberately flout and try to undermine the uh, strike. Essentially, boiling their argument boils down to like, well, I'm rich. So I guess it's one of those things where it's like you know, you can say yeah, good or bad, but there's certainly a there's certainly damage they could right. be doing. And so not doing damage possibly like counts too. Another thing that I, I was sort of inspired by, um, and okay, let, me, let us just say now, this is where we're going to delve into slightly tricky territory with as much honesty as possible and hope it's fine. But I will just say from the top of this, one thing that was so inspiring or has been inspiring to me as someone, and this also falls under our 30% um, Star Trek content, when when you guys first met, because I believe, Carlos, you just recognized Hani from uh, yeah. something, I assume. Yeah, shout, yeah. Out, uh, shout out to Soda. Uh, they're a Mediterranean restaurant right by the, <laughs> yes. uh, the Disney lot. They give the WJ a discount and they let SAG and WJ use their bathrooms and they have great fucking food and coffee. So please go see them. Also, that's where all three of us met. So yes. it's great. Love that place. Um, <laughs> Good vibes. No, but, but yeah. just watching, you know, as someone who is not a Star Trek person, but watching this community sort of like come together. And, and it's because I'm like often able to be on, you know, on the picket line with Tawny and just seeing 
writers and, and people who love Star Trek interact with Tawny in that way has also been just amazing. And then also now we are at the point, now this is this is into the awkward territory, which is one of the reasons I, I uh, was happy Carlos was here is that, you know, we're, we're ha- trying to respectfully celebrate a Star Trek thing that I was very pleased to see, which was Tony and Jack's uh, crossover onto uh, Stranger Worlds. I'm speaking slowly because I'm picking my words because I am trying not to. We just, I just want uh, the listeners to know that we have ejected Tawny into the void. She's not here. She's not <laughs> able to promote herself at all. This is just us speaking as friends. Correct. Correct. No, I mean, I, I think the thing is, though, we are we're also at a point where, like, this is this is just another side of the business, which is like we, um, and even I, as just a fan, but a person who creates other things. We love the things we create. We love the things we do. Um, and that is also why the strike has been so difficult, which is that, like, in an effort to rightfully apply business pressure, we have to be, in our case for the Guild, careful. Like, I don't think we're violating any rules here, but, you know, we're well, possibly right at the edge. So, um, well, let's, I mean, let's just clarify, I think, for the listeners what the difference is and why we're being so cagey about this is the WGA, when we when we first went on strike, issued uh, this, the rules, and part of those rules were no promotion uh, of, your, of your stuff. Uh, we, a couple weeks in, relaxed those rules because, like, one of the things that the WGA determined is that that actually kind of, like, cuts down on our messaging. We can't celebrate the things that writers work on if we don't talk about it. And and since it is so rare that anyone even mentions us in any sort of review press or anything like that, it's it's usually on us to sort of get the word out about who is mm-hmm. writing this thing and you know like that that sort of thing. And so I think that was that was the reason behind that. And so that's why you'll see writers uh um promoting the work that they've uh been uh, um doing. Uh, Javi uh, uh, Grillo Marswatch is another uh, uh, podcaster and TV writer. He does uh, Children of Tendu. He was recently attacked online for being a scab uh, for um, promoting The Witcher, which he wrote on. And again, you know, we have different rules than SAG, but the internet is a terrible place. And, you know, I guess if there's one thing that I would, I, I don't think your listeners are probably the ones doing this, but just the general internet to know is like, leave it to the guilds. Like we have a process. We don't, we don't need you attacking our membership, yeah. uh, calling us scabs and stuff like that, because A, it sucks and it hurts, especially for those of us who are not doing that and, you know, good good standing members of the guild. But, you know, there is actually a process and it's a very serious one. Um, uh, but anyways, to, to sort of continue, SAG, when SAG went on the line, um, they, uh, part of their thing, which was different than ours, was that, uh, like, we can't promote at the behest of a company. But SAGs went even further and said that absolutely no promotion can happen whatsoever because that is work, which is true, I think. You know, and, and if it's yeah. if there's any any sort of indicator, um, Tony, you're in the void right now. Um, <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, I was just going to clarify the SAG rule. I'm allowed to do that. Oh, yes, please the, do. Oh, yes, um, yes. Yeah, what Carlos was saying about the uh, uh, promoting at behest of the studio, that was like an obvious no-go. So sometimes when I do promotion for a show or something, it's because the network has reached out and said, hey, we secured this interview with this outlet or we're doing this date. We're going to do an EPK and you're going to sit and we're going to video you and ask you a bunch of questions. We're going to break it up over the season, whatever. Um, And those are very much like, you know, directed by the studio. Or sometimes they'll send out assets and say, here's this cool thing you just did. Here's a bunch of pictures from it and gifts that our marketing department made. Post them all over your socials. 
sometimes in your contract, you have to do certain things. There are certain appearances like um, San Diego Comic-Con. Panels at San Diego Comic-Con are a contractual obligation for the people on my show. Um, And some things are just like, if you like it and you like the show, here's stuff you can post. So all of that was considered, once SAG went on strike, it was like anything at the behest of the studio, whether it's in your contract or whether it is just because you like the thing, is now forbidden. That's struck work. So we couldn't do that. The other thing you cannot do is just your own promotion of literally like, no one has asked me to do this. I just had a fun behind the scenes photo I wanted to post. That is also considered struck work. So that it's Which pretty, is a uh, super bummer. Yeah. It's a bummer, and I but think it's especially effective because no. oh, 100%. I mean, I don't know if it's effective, but it's like you know they they get so much free promotion out of us because we love so much what we do. Like all actors just want to post pictures of ourselves in our fucking costumes and some dumb you know video of us playing ping pong in our trailers or whatever the fuck. And that promotes the show and it's free for them. And nobody, not even like a marketing intern, had to come up with the copy for it because we're all fun and funny. And so it it makes sense why we're not allowed to, but it is it feels crazy. It feels yeah. like, oh, I just I, I cannot talk about anything I did for the last year of my life. Like all I do is work. <laughs> what no, else and do it's, we it's a sacrifice? What do we do? It's like a sacrifice to to not be able to celebrate the things that But I also think it's love. one of the best arguments against yes. like AI in terms of like mm-hmm. um replacing mm-hmm. people because it's like why would I, you know, why would I promote this movie where you used my image, like, um, you know, against my will? Like, I will actively campaign against it. You know, like, it, it feels like th- this is one of the best ways uh, for for you guys in, in negotiations to sort of, like, girdle yourselves against that is, like, the promotion side of things is so yeah. much work. I think the clowns that run these studios genuinely think the American public wants to see David Zaslav and a laptop talk about how they, like you know, AI directed the new whatever movie. Like, I think Mm -hmm. these clowns think they have that charisma because they don't value what actors do. It's like, it's so shocking that, and like, so, you know, they're clowns, obviously. So, Carlos, when your final season of television uh, that you wrote on comes out, do you have a plan for how you want to engage with that, how you want to post, how you want to engage with fans so that you feel good about it and so that you're celebrating appropriately? Because of our delay uh, or because of our, our cancellation and then um, we were given some extra money to sort of fill, uh, film a coda. Uh, so the, you know, the finale episode will be a little uh, uh, longer and this is, all, this is all public knowledge. Because of that, uh, our season was pushed back six months. So we won't be airing until early next year, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. And so hopefully things will be done by then, but not really. Um, you know, my season four episode, uh, when it when it aired, um, I just happened to be uh, at home in Hawaii with my folks and um, my mom and my stepdad, uh, all, all my parents are, are good with each other. So they were also visiting Hawaii because it had been like three years in COVID since we had all gotten together and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a bunch of other family there, and then there were friends in town from uh, my childhood and stuff like that. And so we had probably about, like, 20, 25 people over in our living room to do a viewing party, which was, like, really amazing and special to, to you know, show my family, who most of which had never seen the show before, uh, or maybe even any Star Trek, an episode completely out of context. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Love dropping the un- uninitiated in mid-season. I do a lot of that yeah. with people. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, it was though. I feel like that that episode though uh, of that whole season has pretty much the easiest expl- uh, explanation in two sentences, which was. Last episode, the ship became sentient and the crew needs to figure out what to do. <laughs> and uh, the the other half of it, is, the, the A story is uh, there is a galactic uh, meeting uh, about this big, you know, uh, world swallowing threat and they're trying to decide what to do. And that's kind of all you need to know to get into that episode. So <laughs> nice, um, easy. Love it. Uh, but to, to all that end, uh, with Tawny back in the void, I can safely say, those old scientists were my favorite episodes of Star Trek. Yeah, it, I mean, as as not a Trek person, well, I, what what Tawny has I think sussed out for me ultimately is I I was a passive in syndication. Like I've seen a ton of Star Trek, but I don't really I I don't I don't even know if I watched them in order or what. It's just like a lot of facts are in my brain, but no relationships. So I, I recognize aliens. I kind of know some people's quirks, but I'm like, I don't know what happened. It was awesome to to like like watch this crossover episode. And, you know, I, I've seen um, Lower Decks, so I was like, okay, I get that. And I was like, oh, this is fucking cool. And it's things that I kind of have put together. Um, so, yeah, to me, it was like an amazing, super fun, super awesome episode that... For now, we I personally encourage you to watch um, because that is, you know, how we show the value of of the things that you know people like Tony and Carlos, uh, to a lesser extent, me. I also, you know, whatever. Don't watch my shit. Um, <laughs> don't watch my shit, Andrew T. Your tagline is "I was on strike before the strike." <laughs> yeah. I've been on strike from this podcast too, you know, just like everything. I'm, <laughs> I'm scabbing. I'm scabbing I know, on and the pod. We've asked you to please, please come back to the pod. You don't need to strike the podcast. <laughs> and and then, in just in honor of the WGA strike rules, we should say that Catherine Lynn and Bill Wolkoff wrote yes, the episode, yes. and it they did a, just a fantastic job. Yes, Bill Wolkoff is my strike captain as well, which has been <sighs> so lovely to get such an incredible, uh, like a, to have like a friend that's doing that, but also someone from within the Trek community. Um, it's been really nice. That to have him man strike captain. bikes to all the lots that he strikes <laughs> at, and, and he lot coordinates. I don't what. <laughs> I know. Superhuman. He's, he's a gem. Stay it's very hydrated. Cool. Yeah. 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 And uh, and it's just been very nice to, you know, when I've had a question about things or, you know, I, I, he knows some of the SAG side of it, obviously knows more of the WGA stuff. But when I've had a question about how, uh, because as a writer for Star Trek Academy or Starfleet Academy 2, there were just some like conflicting messaging early on that I didn't fully get. And he was really helpful with that. So, well, and also yeah. worth noting, Bill Wolkoff uh, was um, my partner in crime in planning the Star Trek picket day. And Tawny yes. was the reason that we had a New York picket because she was going to be out of town and uh, asked. Because I had FOMO. Uh, yeah, <laughs> ask if we could organize. But it was great because you know uh, cool. you met Mark out there, uh, who I see now at the picket line all the time, which is awesome. Mark Gaberman, the man who created Tuvix, <laughs> insane, an insane <laughs> distinction. But yeah, yeah, wonderful man. Now, now writer for Jeopardy, and very happy. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. The well, the on to Andrew's writer. point. Yeah. To Andrew's point from before, the um, the community aspect of Star Trek has always been, you know, pre strike. Just the 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 community aspect of it has been such a gift for me and for my career. And now in the strike, of course, just seeing that like intensified and magnified, and seeing that Star Trek is mostly made up of 
actors and writers and artists who really care about labor and really care about progressive values and are very leftist. And just seeing that compared to other, you know, other jobs and other franchises has been really heartening. I don't know how many of the like pre strike meetings uh, that you went to uh, and, and Andrew, are you a captain at all or kind of like, uh, but did you I go to those captains of- meetings early on? No, I did not. I got sort okay. of field okay. deputized early morning one day, but that's totally fine. Those um, early morning. So, speak, speaking of <laughs> you know Star Trek and labor running deep, there's this guy that would it's like old, crusty old dude that would get up at like every captain's meeting, and and fully embodies when he gets up to the mic the comment, not a question, energy when he first starts <laughs> talking, and you're just like, oh, this guy, and then he like proceeds to give this speech that burns down the entire room and like, like galvanizes everybody. And it's David Weddle, who is a DS9 writer, uh, wrote some of my favorite episodes. He wrote uh, Treachery Faith in the Great River with his uh, um, uh, writing partner, Bradley, uh, who's a Disney lot captain. He's, he's awesome, but also just like super pro labor guy. And, you know, you have Robert Hewitt Wolf and Iris Stevens uh, Bear, who wrote the the Bar Association, which is probably the most pro union episode of television ever made. Yeah, yeah, it really is. It is interesting watching and seeing, like, like I I feel like I'd been hearing but not appreciating how much like Star Trek really is like about like a utopia and the way things could be and the way like people could be, um, as opposed to like other types of science fiction. It has been like. Something I've heard but never really internalized until watching, like, you folks, honestly. Well, it's been really amazing, too, watching the fan community really step up, too, um, whether it's raising money for entertainment community funds. Uh, shout out to Claire Willett, who's a, a playwright um, and a huge Star Trek fan. She has organized an army of volunteers and gotten donations and been delivering to the lots where actors and writers from Star Trek tend to congregate. And that's mm-hmm. been, you know, the, the the shows of solidarity from the community is like, it's really been amazing to see everyone sort of living the ideals that, that the show reflects. I had an unrelated question, uh, <laughs> only because we, we've been so often incorporating this bit from uh, Yo Can We Live, our premium show available at suboptimalpods.com that maybe it's just a Yo Is This Racist bit now. However, and this is, I'm springing this on you, but I'm guessing it's not going to be too difficult, which is that like, uh, we've been trying to bring in a thing uh, where we just, you know, palate cleanse a little bit with something um, positive that we've enjoyed from people of color. And right before uh, we started, you mentioned that you are a tabletop RPG designer. So either either any version of those things, uh, can you tell us about that? Yeah, is there anything you want to plug? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so I I have a um, I'm in a book coming out uh, very soon called Flea Mortals, which is a, a fifth edition D and D, essentially like complete replacement for the Monster Manual. Um, and I wrote some. Mm-hmm really awful monsters, including a thing called the Yum Grub, which is basically just a empanada beetle that gets you addicted to it and makes you die if you eat too many. Um, <laughs> has some of the most revolting art I've ever seen. 
Um, Is that just I, uh, a proxy for Costco pizza on the lot? Cause... Oh my god! Well, what was so funny? The, the weirdest, the weirdest confluence of things happened was the day that the um, the uh, the editor of the books. He's like, "Hey, for your eyes only." He sent me the art, and I'm like, "Oh, they're little walking empanadas. This is amazing." Was the day that lead of Star Trek films and also D and D movie comes to deliver empanadas to the lot when Chris Pine came out, which was, it was just a weird, it was like moments, I'm like looking up at these empanadas, I look across the street and I see a man in a Canadian tuxedo walking over. Um, and, oh, oh God. Yeah. You're uh, like, Kelvin Timeline, Captain Kirk brought us empanadas. Mm-hmm. And there was like four Star Trek writers right there too. It was wild. So we all got a picture yeah. of it. It was very nice. The simulation ran out of variables that day for you. It was just like, fuck it. Empanada Star Trek D&D only. Just <laughs> the least Empanada. resources possible. <laughs> But yeah, that's so Flea Mortal is uh, through uh, M- it's mcdm.com, I believe. You can go on there and find the, the pre-order for it. Um, it's coming out pretty soon. Um, I wrote in the uh, Star Trek Adventures, Star Trek Discovery uh, supplement. Oh, cool. So if you're, uh, if you're into Star Trek Adventures, that's a, that's a place that uh, you can find my work. And then random uh, other places that kind of just sort of uh, find their way, like the DMs Guild. I've done some stuff for iHunt, but generally kind of keeping around themes of anti-capitalism and stuff like that. The first the first uh, adventure I ever wrote was in an anti-capitalist collection called Eat the Rich that was almost banned from the store that it was on because <laughs> they didn't want political ideology. And we're like, okay, we'll change it to anti-tyranny, whatever. Oh, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. We can all agree tyranny bad, right? Yeah, <laughs> tyranny. Right? Nobody likes that? Yeah. That's great. still a political position. Tyranny is simply another possible ideology, mm-hmm. folks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, I, one thing about the strike that I have been enjoying a silver lining is learning about all of the different like side hustles and other artistic pursuits that people have, especially as people are kind of navigating the waters of not talking about or talking about in the right way, various struck work that they've done, hearing about people's like music projects and, you know, writing books and uh, RPG stuff has been very cool because, yeah, it's uh, it, it can get easy to forget that like these are very complex, well-rounded artists who probably for a long time we're used to hustling and putting together a bunch of different gigs to make a living, which is also why we're on strike because we don't want to have to have 40 fucking side hustles. Oh yeah. I would probably say that until I got staffed in the like nine years that I lived out here, I probably made less than $50,000 a year. Like it was, you know, struggle out in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles is, is, is poverty. It's, it's not possible. And well, and it's that we shouldn't have to do that because our work generates Billions of dollars a year, uh, possibly trillion. No, this is still billions, but like over the life of this next contract, it'll be trillions. And as you can see, this work cannot happen without us. Um, that is why Sony's gonna just not release any movies this year because they cannot do it without us. And various other things. That was just the latest thing that was on my brain. Do we want to throw in one voicemail just so that we're doing? what the show says it is. And then we can uh, let Carlos plug some stuff. I will not plug anything. And then we'll go home. How do we like that? Yeah. Cool. Hey, what's going on? Love the show. Um, I'm a black male. And at my job, I remember, I know it's a little bit old news, but at my job, um, after Juneteenth, my white boss had asked me, hey, what'd you do this weekend? Did you go to Juneteenth? And I said, yeah. He's like, oh, how was it? You know, it was Go fun. to. Uh, so I Oof. forgot. Um, honestly, I told him that I was going to it before. So, sure, I'll give him that pass. But afterward, I kept thinking, like, 
You know what? I don't like how it went down, though. I should have asked him, like, oh, did you go? Shit, I didn't see you there. Shit. How about you go next time? You feel me? Uh, but, yeah, I just want to get your thoughts on really, um, what do you think about white people pulling up to Juneteenth? Because somebody like me, I'm like, I'm cool with them, like, doing some things, you know, being in black spaces to educate themselves. But I've also heard other black people say, no, we just want this for us. So, um, love the show. If you answer it, I would... Love you forever. All right, bye. Uh, I, I was thinking about you. this. Thank you. In like an ability to generalize it, which is just like, you know, and it even dovetails a little bit with some of the stuff we talked about with, with folks showing up to the picket line, which is like, that where does like sort of like allies educating yourself then tip over into seriously get the fuck out of here? Yeah. Well, yeah. And I also, I, I want to caution the listener lest it becomes Cinco de Mayo, uh-huh. which is now an exclusively white people holiday. Yeah, yeah. There's a real, like, there's a real, um, what's it called when, like, the, the uh, like, a, like the meniscus of water gets, like, you know, <laughs> it reaches, yeah. it reaches a point, I don't know, I don't have enough science to make this joke, but you get what I'm trying to say. It reaches a tipping point. Yeah, there's, at some point, the reactor can be overloaded, you know, but... Prior to that, it's just reacting. Uh-huh. Thank you for the science, Andrew. <sighs> is it just like, there's just like a line and you, I guess it is probably like most of these questions, like a, you know it when you see it. Like for Juneteenth, it's probably mm. we're at the encouraging white folks to come. For Cinco de Mayo, we're, <laughs> it is probably like trying to put, mm. you know, water back in the oh, bottle. As a, as, a, as a brown person, I will not leave my house on that day. Yeah, because like, like sit, yeah, no. What what can you do? It's it's a white done. person will try to put a sombrero on my head if I go out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it is like like the caller was saying. Like, are is it is it when the holiday or event has more of an educational uh, flavor to it that those folks are welcome? Yeah, is that maybe the deciding <sighs> factor? Uh, there, there's no amount of education in incumbent in the holiday that can't be taken away. I think Cinco de Mayo is a great example because like how many people who are, you know, in in this day and age celebrating Cinco de Mayo, like on your various streets and bars, literally know what the fuck any of the history is. Nope. That's just Cinco de Drinco. Yeah. Whereas, you know, in Los Angeles, we see a really, there's a really huge, lovely Dia de los Muertos celebration um, in Hollywood that, I think when I've gone, it seems very mixed. It seems like it seems as mixed a smattering of people as Los Angeles is. So I wonder if that feels different because it does feel more like there's a familiarizing yourself with it. I don't I don't know. I, I think it's a you, you, you know, you know, it's bad when you feel it. And that coworker, I don't know, ask yourself how you would have felt about having that specific coworker turn up that. <laughs> <laughs> the cookout you went to or whatever Does, right. is the vibe good or are vibes going to be off but yeah i also like the the responding the asking later like how was that black person thing that you went to black person is always going to feel a little weird yeah <laughs> the maybe the this motherfucker specifically is the the like line <laughs> you're looking for which is like this coworker, you know no they need to be locked in a library with like several books uh, but other white <laughs> folks who are maybe more educatable, yes, you're welcome. And it's case by case. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how helpful that is, but uh, it it is like a, well, I see how this can go right, but I really see how it can go wrong. 
Yeah. Too easily. Too easily. <laughs> All right. Total. Well. I think no, I and actually pulling the the Cinco de Mayo analogy really is helpful. That really crystallized that for me. I was like, oh yes, it's, this yeah. There's I mean, it had it had shit. meaning at one point, and I, no longer. Do you ever feel like you? It's like worth trying to reclaim, or is it again just like you know fighting the ocean at this point? No, no, yeah. yeah. <laughs> No, <laughs> I don't, uh, yeah, I was gonna try and qualify that with some reasoning, but I no, just no. Yeah, it's, just, it's, it's too tired, too tired for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty reasonable. How do you undo colonialism? You, it's like sort of once it's there, it's there. Mm. You know, well, yeah. Haiti, Haiti did it all right. Yeah, we can oh, undo yes. colonialism the old-fashioned way if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Wink. <laughs> yeah, but what we didn't do for Haiti was undo the like poverty stigma and quote unquote crime stigma that every other country and white person has about it, which stifles tourism and the and like people fucked up like yeah. taxation rules that like France yeah. still yeah. has on them and stuff like that. I like I had just learned about those like last year, and it's like it's heinous, yeah. It's insane. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely it's the insane. local uh, colonialism can be undone. The the global shit remains yeah that is certainly no way to end a podcast however i think it's exactly how we have to end it um we are so grateful to you carlos for yeah carlos thank you so much i'm happy to see you in air conditioning in your home not hauling the biggest wagon full of bottled water to a bunch of sweaty starving picketers so thank you and yeah, and thank you for coming. And and is there anything that you can and are excited to promote or talk about that you can tell our listeners to to go consume? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, listen, uh, the residuals are dirt, but residuals are residuals. So you can go watch my episode of season four, 407 uh, of uh, Star Trek Discovery. That's still still there. You know, who knows when they will take things off the air now. It's, yeah. uh, it's anybody's guess these days. So get it while it's still slightly cooled. <laughs> um, uh, like I said, Flea Mortals, uh, from, uh, MCDM. You can also, I think I, I would, uh, I would be remiss, uh, not to plug the Entertainment Community Fund if you have the means and can donate. Uh, that is a, a fund that will help out, uh, everybody from writer to actor to crew member to assistant who is struggling because of work stoppages. Mm-hmm. If you uh, want to help out Disney directly, I have my Venmo pinned to the top of my Twitter profile, uh, which is pretty, it's my name with a dash in the middle, or underscore, Carlos underscore Cisco. Uh, or the Venmo is Carlos dash Cisco, I believe. But that's, if you want to help out our line directly, I'm taking donations and that goes to uh, water, uh, cooling supplies, uh, you know, we we tend to go through a lot of cooling towels because we hand them off to people and then we never get them back. Yeah, so, <laughs> uh, you know, we're, we're yeah, which is fine. That's what they're for, you know, but uh, yeah. but we we tend to go through a lot. And uh, as things have uh, ramped up and now that SAG's here, uh, I'm making uh, daily daily trips to to Ralph's on the way to pick up extra waters because we uh, okay, cool. certainly run out. But yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing that I'd like to plug mainly if there are WGA members listening, or even if they're not, and SAG members too, uh, is uh, Wednesday the 9th of August is our 100th day uh, wow. on the line. Oof. And uh, yeah, yeah, that sucks. But uh, also, it's going to be a fun day at any lot that you go to. Every lot is planning, you know, uh, keep it sort of lovely solidarity celebrations um, uh, and uh, hopefully a lot of dunking on CEOs. 
yeah. in their faces mm-hmm. next to their incomes. But yeah, if uh, if you haven't been coming out, please show up on that day. It, it'll be an important day. Uh, and if uh, if you have been coming out, thank you. That's great. That's great to know. Thank right. you. We'll see you there. This is Suboptimal.